Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Natural MD Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that is incredibly important to me. In fact, it is my legacy topic. So if somebody ever asks you what you'd want written on your tombstone or what you'd want your family members, friends, and community say about you after you've died, that is a legacy statement or legacy, uh, something of importance for legacy. But before I jump into that topic, now that I'm sure I've got you intrigued, I want to share with you something fun that I'd like to do maybe once a month with Natural MD Radio, and that is celebrate those of you who are taking the time, which I so appreciate, to leave comments over on iTunes and share the love that you're sharing with me and other women. And what we'd like to do is thank you for leaving comments. And I'd love to be able to do this for everyone, but we're going to pick and choose just kind of randomly or look for the super juicy comments and send those of you who do that a special thank you gift. Now, if you are within the continental United States, you will possibly even receive an actual physical gift in the mail, providing that we can get in touch with you. And if you live out of the US, then because of shipping issues, we won't be able to mail you something by post, but email goes pretty much everywhere. So we'll send you a special gift by email. So today we have a comment from Hand M Mom from March 12th, 2018. And she says, helping women take charge of their health so they are able to really advocate for themselves. That's the best thing about these podcasts. I appreciate all the great science-based info that helps me take charge of improving my health. It's been a struggle for more than 10 years of thyroid trouble, but I've learned so much about creating more good days than bad ones. I'm so glad that we are able to do that for you. We meaning me, my husband who helps get all these podcasts loaded, my team that gets them onto iTunes. It's always so rewarding to know that the work that we do in our life is reaching you and making a difference. So thank you all. I do read all of the comments. I read the critical comments too, because we always want to make sure that we're getting better at what we do. And so thank you so much. And Hand M Mom, if you're listening to this and drop an email to support at avivaram.com, we've got something special to send you. And just for those of you, some of the exciting examples of special things that we're sending are sets of my adaptogens and hand-signed books of my Adrenal Thyroid Revolution and my other books. So can't wait to kind of keep sharing the love this way. And thank you for leaving your comments on iTunes, because the more you do that, the more it elevates the blog in the iTunes rankings and the more other women see it and are able to have the tools they need to take back their health. So without further ado, so what is Dr. Aviva's tombstone engraving going to say? Well, I've said to my husband and to colleagues that one of the things that I would really love to be known for in my life is helping to reduce the overuse of antibiotics. Look, there's no doubt about it. 
Antibiotics are a good thing. They save lives every day. We can in part attribute longer lifespans that we enjoy now to reductions in things like infant mortality and childhood deaths from life-threatening infections. And we have antibiotics largely to thank for that as well as for the near uh, elimination of childbirth-related maternal deaths from infections in hospitals due to lack of antibiotics that we saw historically. However, and frighteningly, this next generation of children that's growing up now actually has a lower life expectancy than any generation uh, in recent history. And maternal death rates are actually on the rise in the United States in hospitals. So there's a lot of powerful and complex health issues going on in our world right now. And one of these actually does have to do with antibiotic overuse, including some of the risks our kids are facing that are increasing their chronic disease. And that has to do with antibiotic overuse. As an MD, I am incredibly grateful to be able to prescribe antibiotics for serious bacterial infections, things like meningitis, kidney infections, and Lyme disease. But as with so many things, more is not always better. And in the US, at least, we do tend to live in a more is better mentality of a culture. And more is not better, particularly in the case of antibiotics. Hands down, it's completely clear the science is overwhelming that antibiotics are being overused. They're given to about 30% of all women during pregnancy or labor, and those reach the baby through mom's bloodstream. By two years old, 69% of children in the U.S. have received at least one antibiotic course, and on the average two to three, 2.3 courses for things like ear infections, bronchitis, sore throat, and other common childhood illnesses. By the time our kids are 18 years old, they have taken between 10 and 20 full courses of antibiotics. And then most of us have received another 10 to 13 rounds of antibiotics in our 20s, particularly women, because they're given for things like acne and urinary tract infections, mostly which women are much more likely to have. So by the time we're 30 years old, on average, we have typically in the U.S. had about 30 rounds of antibiotics. And each round is typically anywhere from 5 to 14 days long. So that's an astonishing over 300 possible days, almost a year of our lives spent on an antibiotic. And the numbers are similarly high for adults over 60. It's just really rampantly overused. Shockingly, according to the CDC or Centers for Disease Control and other official reports, at least 50% and as many as 70% of the antibiotics prescribed for children and adults for common symptoms and conditions are unnecessary and inappropriate. They're prescribed for things like viral infections that aren't even treatable with an antibiotic and usually just require time and supportive measures to clear up on their own. We are so accustomed to antibiotics being prescribed for our illnesses that we assume that they're as safe as they are common, but this is actually far from the truth. We're not just getting antibiotics that are prescribed by our doctors either. Antibiotics are widespread in our foods, especially in our animal products. 
milks. Get this. If you drink two glasses of milk each day, and you can translate that to yogurt if it's not organic, for example, unless it's from antibiotic-free animals, you are potentially getting a daily dose of 50 milligrams of tetracycline alone, not to mention the other antibiotics that might be going into those animals. At least 80 million pounds of antibiotics go into our cattle, poultry, and farm-raised fish each year. And it's not just to keep them quote-unquote healthy in their overcrowded feedlot conditions, but it's used to promote growth. Antibiotics can increase the weight of cattle, for example, by as much as 15% or more and very rapidly. So it makes those animals, as one of my neighbors who used to raise cows when I lived way out in the country in Georgia used to say, gold on a hoof. Frighteningly, even organic fruit, for example, apples and pears, can be contaminated with antibiotics, which are allowed to be used to prevent blights that can damage crops. These antibiotics do not have to be disclosed to consumers as part of their organic labeling. And as we know from a recent study that happened in Europe, much of what is applied on the outside of our fruits and vegetables goes further than the skin, in fact, goes under the skin. And so even washing doesn't fully remove them. We have been learning the hard way that the overuse of antibiotics, both as medicines and in our foods, has been wreaking havoc on our health. Here are just three major lessons we've learned from antibiotic use. The first is that antibiotic reactions are common. Reactions to antibiotics are responsible for at least 140,000 hospital visits a year in the U.S. alone. One in every five emergency department visits due to a medication reaction is due to antibiotics. And in kids under 18 years old, they're the most common cause of drug reactions. So we're overusing something glibly as if it doesn't really carry any risks to it, but they do. The second lesson is that antibiotic resistance is a global health threat. We're in the midst of one of the biggest global health crises we've ever faced. I mean, this is this makes Zika and Ebola look like child's play, antibiotic resistance. And it's the direct result of overprescribing and inappropriate prescribing of antibiotics and the overuse of antibiotics in the meat industry, meat and dairy industries. Antibiotic resistance is not something that just develops in the individual. That is, it's not just that you become resistant to the antibiotic. It means that the bacteria themselves have learned to outwit the antibiotic so that the antibiotic is no longer effective in treating anyone who's infected with the resistant strain. Every year in the U.S. alone, over 2 million Americans acquire serious infections with bacteria that are now resistant to some or all of the antibiotics that we have to treat those infections. And at least 23,000 people die every year as a result of antibiotic resistance, mostly picked up in hospitals. Global leaders in public health have declared that these nightmare bacteria pose a catastrophic threat to every person in the world. And antibiotic resistance is now considered the largest global public threat we have. The third lesson 
is that antibiotics can cause chronic disease. So antibiotics kill bacteria. Now that's a good thing. The problem is that antibiotics not only kill off the bad guys that infect us when we're sick, they also can kill off a lot of the good ones too. So when we give antibiotics to children at a young age or frequently enough to anyone, some of those good guys may never fully recover. And this happens whether we're babies, children, adults, anytime in our lives. These good gut flora, or as they are collectively called our microbiome, are critical for the health of our immunity, our moods, our weight, and our ability to detoxify environmental toxins and hormones. We know now that damage to our microbiome significantly increases our risk for developing allergies, eczema, asthma, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, and obesity even when a person isn't overeating. Autoimmune conditions, depression, anxiety, brain fog, diabetes, and as a result of diabetes, increases our risks for heart disease and stroke. So if we know all of this, why are antibiotics overprescribed? The Centers for Disease Control has been on a mission for several decades now to get physicians to reduce their antibiotic prescribing or overprescribing, I should say. Here are the top four reasons that we have discovered that antibiotics continue to be prescribed way too often. One is that doctors think that parents expect an antibiotic prescription when they bring their child to the doctor for a sick visit. And they also think that you want an antibiotic prescription when you come in for a cough, bronchitis, a cold, etc. And because of this, at least 50 to 70% of antibiotics are overprescribed. Two, doctors are afraid to get sued if they don't treat with an antibiotic and the infection turns out to be more serious than they anticipated. Three, doctors don't feel that they have time to explain the problems associated with antibiotics to parents and to adult patients in the time that's allocated for a sick visit or in the emergency department. It's quicker and easier for an overwhelmed, overwrought, overworked, busy doctor to just prescribe the antibiotic. And four, doctors aren't knowledgeable enough about the risks of overprescribing, about when you should and when you shouldn't prescribe an antibiotic, and they don't know about the alternatives to antibiotics and do want to prescribe something that they think will help. So what can we do? Well, Promoting health is the best way to avoid unnecessary antibiotics. Simply put, a healthy diet with natural foods, plenty of good quality protein, good quality fats, plenty of fresh vegetables, and importantly, low in sugar, which dampens down the immune system, can give your immune system the nutrients you need to support health and support your children's health and therefore get sick less often. There are also several natural supplements that are specifically helpful for the immune system if you or you have a child who gets sick more often than you think is optimal. And how often should we get sick? I mean, honestly, 
we don't have to even get sick with a cold or an infection every year. And we certainly don't need an infect. It's not normal or natural to have an infection every single year that requires an antibiotic. So if you're getting bronchitis every year, if you're getting pneumonia every year, if you're getting urinary tract infections recurrently, something's off and you want to get to the root causes of that, which I talk about in my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, which the name limits what that book can actually do for you. If you're having any recurrent health problems or chronic problems, including recurrent infections, the plan in that book can certainly help. And go to the blogs over on my website for getting to the root causes of these recurrent health problems. But some of the key things that you can do to boost your immunity is I mentioned protein. It's very important to get adequate protein for optimal immune function. It takes protein to make the cells that fight infections. So where do you get good protein sources? From organic meats, eggs, beans and legumes, and nuts. And if you tolerate it, Dairy can be a good source of protein as well. And how much? Some portion at every meal. So it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be four ounces of chicken. It can be one or two eggs. It can be four ounces of meat, six ounces of fish, or a half a cup of cooked legumes or beans or a handful of nuts. That's for an adult, of course, and then modify that down for children. But some portion at every meal. Zinc is necessary for proper immune function as well, and it specifically supports the health of the gut immune system. So it can be helpful if you've already used a lot of antibiotics in the past or have been told or think that you might have something called leaky gut. Oysters and pumpkin seeds are two very rich dietary sources of zinc, and it can also be supplemented. Most multivitamins have some zinc in them. Iron is also really important for immunity. So if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, it's especially important to make sure that you're getting enough iron from dietary sources of iron. Probiotics, we hear a lot about probiotics these days. They're really important, um, and particularly when it comes to immunity and antibiotic use. Probiotics may help to heal damage from past antibiotic exposure, both by replenishing some of the organisms that may have been killed off, but also by promoting the health of the gut lining. You need good flora, a good healthy microbiome to have a healthy gut lining. And so then you have to have a healthy gut lining to regrow good gut flora. So it's really important. Prebiotics can also help. And that includes things like inulin, um, larch, arabinogalactans. Those are things that you want to find in a supplement. But a lot of the foods in our diet, things like artichokes, Jerusalem artichokes, onions, garlic, these provide these prebiotic sources. One of my favorites is burdock root. It's a little bit unusual and mostly only available in the autumn, but it cooks up lovely as a sauteed vegetable with some onions and a little bit of garlic and ginger. I'll have to post a recipe for that on my website. It's an unusual kind of foraged food, but markets sell it now because it's popular in Japanese and macrobiotic cooking. How do you get probiotics in your diet? Well, one of the most important ways to do that is eat lacto-fermented foods. So eat sauerkraut or kimchi or pickled vegetables, yogurt and kefir. Again, if you tolerate dairy, organic dairy sources of those are great. If you don't, you can get coconut yogurt and uh, coconut water, kefir. Those are some alternative options. You want to have a probiotic that contains a variety of strains of lactobacillus, 
Saccharomyces, and Bifidobacterium. And particularly if you do take a probiotic or eat foods that contain those, you want to make sure to supplement with a probiotic, not just the foods, throughout cold and flu season, particularly if you are susceptible and are that person or your child is that person who does get sick seasonally and end up often taking antibiotics. Probiotics have been shown to prevent common respiratory infections. So I want to give you some antibiotic alternatives, not just prevention, but in addition to getting the nutrients you need to support your immune system, there are a number of herbal remedies that can both help to prevent and to fight infection. For those of you who are new to my podcast, you might be thinking, well, or you know, new to listening to me or, or following me, you might think, well, what does this doctor know about herbal medicines? Well, I was an herbalist for 25 years before becoming a doctor. I am, uh, not to toot my own horn, but just to give you perspective, one of the most respected herbal practitioners in the U.S. and possibly uh, women's herbal practitioners in the world. I've written the leading textbook on women's herbal medicine. I'm one of the authors or co-authors of the leading botanical safety textbook. And I spent 15 years as the president or board member of the uh, leading herbal organization in the United States, the American Herbalist Guild. So I know a thing or two about herbs and they are still as a physician, as a Yale-trained MD, but also as a mom, as a grandmother, as a human being, they are my first go-to. Foods and herbal medicines are my first go-to for prevention and treatment of common health problems and symptoms. Now, if someone came to me with Lyme or bacterial meningitis, yes, absolutely, antibiotics, top of my list. But even there, we wanna make sure to support the body through herbs, supplements, and things that heal the damage when you have had an antibiotic. Speaking of which, if you do need to take an antibiotic, go ahead and take probiotics along with it and then stay on the probiotic for about three months after because that can really help shift the flora back into a healthy state. I don't recommend using botanicals for infections and antibiotics at the same time. If you need the antibiotic, use the antibiotic and then heal with the probiotic. And if the antibiotic isn't indicated, then use the herbs. And then if, if things change and the antibiotic becomes indicated, switch to the antibiotics. How do you know when an antibiotic is indicated for yourself or your child? There is a section of the Centers for Disease Control website called Get Smart. Really important if you go into your doctor's office or bring your child into the pediatrician or family doctor and someone says your child needs an antibiotic, you can actually ask the doctor or provider to go to the CDC website, get smart section. All they have to do is go CDC, get smart and say, can you please double check the indications to make sure this is really appropriate? Because I don't want to contribute to antibiotic overuse in my child or in the environment. Just say it just like that. And they can't argue with that. They can look it up and they have a section for doctors, for practitioners, and see whether that antibiotic is really needed for that one-sided ear infection in a six-year-old or whether that cough 
is really viral or bacterial and whether that antibiotic is really indicated. You can also look it up yourself. You are welcome to go to the health professional section. You don't need any special access to get there. Anyone can get there. Or you can look in the consumer section, which will give you the information for yourself as an adult or for children. And those are pretty good guidelines. Those are guidelines that I use medically if I'm on the fence of natural remedies versus antibiotics. So one of the beauties of herbal antibiotics is that they're nonspecific. So it doesn't really matter so much whether you're using them for a viral infection or a bacterial infection. The other thing is that they don't cause antibiotic resistance. They're molecules, the, the composition of botanicals is very complex. And so it's much more difficult for bacteria to outwit them. Whereas the mechanisms of action of antibiotics, they're usually doing one or two things directly to that bacteria. So the bacteria over time figures out how to reprogram its own configuration to outwit that antibiotic. Most of the herbs that we call antibiotics some of them have direct antibiotic effects or antimicrobial effects, but a lot of them are actually working to stimulate the body's own immune response to upregulate the immune response or boost the immune response to actually fight the organism, which is another reason that the bugs don't outwit them because they're not always directly working on the bugs. So there are a few safety rules. One is if you think you have a more serious infection, get a diagnosis first to make sure that you are treating things with antibiotics that need to be treated with antibiotics. It's not that we want to not use antibiotics, is we want to protect the antibiotics that we have by using them wisely. They've now become a really precious resource, and we want to protect ourselves from the risks of unnecessary antibiotics. Also, if you have an immune system disorder or are pregnant, you really want to check with your provider. So for example, urinary tract infections in pregnancy often do need to be treated with an antibiotics. There are specific risks. If you have HIV, if you're on an immunosuppressive medication for an autoimmune disease, then you may have a different set of risks. So check with your provider um, if you, you know, if you're not knowledgeable about that yourself to make sure that you're getting the appropriate treatment. Any babies under six months old with any signs of infection really need to be seen by a pediatrician or family doctor to make sure that they're not at any risk. And if you have any symptoms that are persistent, you know, a cold, there's an old saying, if you treat a cold, it goes away in seven days. If you leave it alone, it goes away in a week. So for common colds, you don't have to do anything. But what we're trying to do is address infections that are often treated with antibiotics that are more common, like ear infections, sore throats that aren't necessarily strep, bronchitis, things like that where they don't, they're not necessarily putting you at health risk immediately. Obviously, if things get worse or don't clear up, then that's a different story. So if you're having symptoms that seem like your common run-of-the-mill upper respiratory infection, for example, you can usually often you know, treat safely at home using common sense. But if your fever persists, if you have a cough that lasts more than a week, obviously, if you have any difficulty breathing, if you're coughing up blood, persistent headache, neck pain with fever, persistent vomiting or abdominal pain, anything that seems a little out of the normal, unusual for you or on the extreme, 
Of course, always see a doctor and get an appropriate diagnosis and treatment. That all said, I want to share with you my top eight go-to herbs for immune boosting, infection prevention, and treatment of common cold and flu and respiratory infections. And I'm putting the link to my article on this topic below the podcast. So don't worry about, you know, retaining all the information at once. It's written out for you. So not in any particular order. These are my favorites. In fact, I think I have them in alphabetical order here for you. Yes, I do. Andrographis is an effective antimicrobial herb that is used both for the prevention and treatment of colds, bronchitis, viral sore throat, and sinus infections. A studied combination of andrographis and Siberian ginseng has been shown to be especially helpful in the treatment of colds, especially when started within 72 hours of the onset of the cold symptoms. Now, when would you prevent cold and flu? Well, if you're in the middle of a big cold and flu season, that would be a time if you know you work in an office or a hospital or a daycare center, you're around people all the time and you don't want to get the cold or the flu, you can bone up a little bit for, you know, a couple of weeks and stay on these for prevention. Or if you are someone who you know gets bronchitis, you know, you get a cold every October, it turns into bronchitis, it turns into pneumonia, then starting in September, don't wait till October till you get sick, starting in September, start doing some of these preventative steps. And that's what I do in my medical practice for my patients. If there's someone who comes to me and they've, you know, they're starting in my practice, I say, look, don't wait till you get sick, start with prevention a couple of months or a month before that time that you usually get sick. And it's amazing. They're, they're like, I didn't get sick this fall. I didn't get sick this winter. I didn't get sick this spring. And you know, I know it's, it's summer when this episode is airing. Two reasons I decided to do it now. One is I've just talk, spoken with several people this week who had summer colds, which are just so miserable and antibiotics get prescribed for those too. But also I think it's so helpful to get comfortable with using some herbs before you actually get sick. So, you know, build up, start to build up your, your home formulary, your home pharmacy, incorporate some of these things like ginger tea into your day to day. If you get a little bit of a summer cold, go ahead and learn to use these. Don't wait until we're deep in the middle of, you know, October to February flu season or cold season to get started learning to use them if you can. But if you're listening anytime, of course, these, this information applies year round, all the time. So andrographis is not recommended during pregnancy, but it can be used while breastfeeding and it is safe for children. Echinacea is another of my favorites. It's actually not that great for treating the symptoms of a cold, but in some cases it can. However, it is incredibly effective for cold prevention and also for stopping recurrence. So you can take it or give it to a child throughout cold and flu season, or if you are someone who gets colds and then two weeks later, boom, it's coming back, or you know your kid is just on this cycle of getting a cold every other week, that's a great time to use echinacea on a more day-to-day basis during that you know, season or period of time. Echinacea actually has been found in studies to be safe during pregnancy. So it can be used all the way through pregnancy or in any of the trimesters. Some really good studies have come out of Canada on that. 
The third of my favorites, not in descending order, but the next one is elderberry. And this has been studied and found to be particularly effective in the treatment of flu. So it is not really for colds. It's for flu in adults and children. It's most effective if you start it within two days of symptoms coming on, and it can be taken in pills or capsules. I personally prefer the extracts and elderberry syrups because they're so delicious, and they also can mask the taste of some of these other things. So you can get an elderberry syrup and then a separate two-ounce glass, you know, amber bottle with a dropper, and you could put half elderberry syrup and then a quarter echinacea and a quarter andrographis and shake that up and take a couple of teaspoons of that or a tablespoon up to a tablespoon of elderberry has been found three times a day for adults, two teaspoons for kids. And when I'm talking about kids, that's usually ages six to 12. For children younger than that, you um, have to adjust, keep adjusting the dose down. I talk about how to use herbal medicines for kids at length. I mean, deep, deep dive, you'll get comfortable being your, you know, your kitchen home healthcare provider for your kids in my online programs over at healthiestkids.com. So the Healthy All Year is specifically a course for those of you who want to boost your children's immune systems, prevent them getting from, from getting antibiotics when they don't need them, and learning how to treat so many common conditions at home. And it gives you complete guidelines on when you need to call the doctor, when you do need medical care. And it's got so many wonderful videos of me making recipes. It's, it's a great home tutorial on natural medicines for kids. And it's also very affordable. So it's like kind of getting me in a box, except it's not a box. It comes in your inbox delivered into your house with like hours and hours of video and then easy, quick references so that you can use it in a pinch, right? It's two in the morning. Your kid has an ear infection. You're thinking, what would Dr. Rom do? You can go right to that section on ear infections and right to the part on, should you call the doctor, right to the part on what remedies to do. You can bypass all the theoretical, interesting stuff and go right to what can you do. So that's over at healthiestkids.com. And I love that little program. It's, it's like heart and soul to me. It poured in everything I did as a mama and what I do as a doctor and herbalist. All right. So back to elderberry. The best way to use elderberry is do it within two days of the onset of symptoms. And a typical dose for adults is one times, one tablespoon, three times daily. Children, I said, I think I said two teaspoons earlier, one teaspoon, three times daily. And in my article over on my website, you can look for the recipe for how to make a delicious, yummy, easy to take if you're an adult and kids, you have to keep it away from them because they'll go for it as like a tasty drink if you don't, um, echinacea elderberry syrup. All right, my next go-to remedy, and this is probably one of the most used remedies in my house, especially when I was raising my kids, and you're going to be surprised, it's garlic. Garlic has been used for eons to boost immunity and fight viral and bacterial infections. Long before the words virus and bacteria existed, people were using garlic for infections. The best way to use it for prevention is to include a lot of it in your diet, either cooked into vegetables and other foods, or preferably raw in homemade salad dressings, sprinkled on food, if, if you tolerate the taste. A clove of garlic can also be pressed into, you know, through a garlic presser and mixed with a teaspoon of honey and taken right off the spoon. It's 
It's actually weirdly delicious. Don't recommend that for kids. And I don't recommend that if you get reflux or heartburn. And then you just do that one to two times a day during cold. But the best way to get garlic for a remedy and the way to get kids to take it is to make what is now my famous garlic lemonade. And if you go over to my website, again, through the link, you'll find my garlic lemonade recipe in the blog over there with instructions on how to make it for kids and also even for making it for babies under one because you can't use honey in those babies, but you definitely don't want to use this for kids under six months old. So head on over to the blog for that recipe. It is a classic. My kids used to ask for it. If my kids ever got a cold, mama, can you make garlic honey lemonade? That's what they called it. All right, next on the list for immune boosting powers is ginger. Ginger fights viral infections and it also helps with the aches, pains, and digestive system symptoms. You know how your tummy feels yucky when you feel sick that come along with fever and colds and flu. It also helps break up congestion that comes with a cold and a cough. And I also love it made as a lemonade. And so again, over at the website, you can look for a ginger tea, or instead of making the garlic lemonade, you can substitute one tablespoon of grated ginger, fresh ginger root for the garlic. And that's really yummy. Okay, the next one, and this is actually for prevention of sinus infections, but not for treatment of colds. And that's weirdly green tea. Studies have shown that people who drink one to two cups of green tea daily actually have much fewer sinus infections than people who don't. And so if you are susceptible to sinus infections, think about adding some green tea to your daily dose of healthy things that you do. Okay, another herb with a funny name is Umka Loabo, or as we just call it in the herbal world, because it's much easier to say Umka. And it's been shown to be effective in shortening how long colds with cough and bronchitis and also sinus infections last. So if you are someone who gets these infections, you want to keep some umka around because it can shorten how long you're sick for. And I don't know about you, but even if shortening a cold by one or two days happened, that, you know, five days is better than seven, three days is better than five because colds and flus and all that are just awful. They're miserable. For sinus infections, if you are treating a sinus infection, it may have to be taken up to three weeks to really clear the infection. And of course, if you get sinus infections, ear infections, all of these have risks. So if they're persisting, Go to your doctor, go to your healthcare professional, could be a nurse practitioner, naturopath, et cetera. Make sure everything's okay. Tell them what you're doing because if they look up UMCA on a place like the Cochrane database, they'll find that there's good evidence for it being really helpful. Okay, one of my most favorite herbs for supporting the immune system and preventing upper respiratory infection, that means colds with coughs, ear infections, and sinus infections, is maitake mushroom. It can be taken in pills, in capsules, or an extract for boosting overall immunity and preventing colds and flus, and it helps to increase general well-being. Okay, so where do you get all these things? If you want to buy bulk herbs, things for making teas, or if you want to buy bottles to mix your own things like the echinacea elderberry and 
Andrographis, just for example, you can go online to a company called mountainroseherbs.com. I have zero financial relationship with them. I love what they do. I order supplies from them when I need small amounts and they do, they sell small amounts. So you don't have to buy a whole pound of of an herb, or you don't have to buy 16 ounces of a tincture. You can buy small amounts and figure out by experimentation, trial, hopefully no error, but trial what you are using most often. So Mountain Rose Herbs, great resource. You can find most of the other things that I've talked about at places like Whole Foods, sometimes even local pharmacies and other natural food stores, certainly online through Amazon, and even sometimes through some direct companies. But I would ask that if you are looking for a good supplement resource and you don't have one, consider using my not-for-profit online source, which is the Replenish Dharma Moms Formulary. It is a relationship that I have with a company called Full Scripts. That's where I get my products that I recommend to my patients in my medical practice and where I get supplies, herbal supplies, nutrient supplements, all that for my home and family, my children, and what I recommend to friends. And here's the thing. I am not selling you anything. I'm not making a penny. What I do with Full Scripts is they allow me to set the price anywhere from full retail price, what you'd pay if you went into Whole Foods, which is like a 200% markup, or wholesale. But wholesale doesn't allow us to do anything really beneficial. And so we made an agreement with Full Scripts where you, as the consumer, can get 20% off of all supplements. And that 15% difference between what you pay and what Full Scripts pays, 100% of that, every single penny, goes to Dharma Moms, which is a nonprofit, which puts 100%, again, every penny of that into donating money to healthcare efforts to increase women's access to midwifery care in countries with the highest maternal and infant mortality rates in the world. So if you have another place to get supplements, great. But if you don't, I don't own that company. I don't make any money from it. But if you do purchase from there, then you're doing good with your choices. All right. I hope you'll learn to use and love herbs as much as I do. I can tell you I rarely prescribe an antibiotic in my medical practice ever. And herbs have helped to keep me and my family well and antibiotic-free for over 30 years. If you want to learn more about herbs and follow what I'm doing, come hang out with me over at my website. The best way to do that is to opt in for a free download. I would recommend if you're interested in herbs for yourself and for learning to use herbs whenever possible instead of pharmaceuticals, grab a copy of Detox Your Medicine Cabinet, which is 26 herbal alternatives to the most commonly used pharmaceuticals. If you want to use herbs for your kids, you can download a copy of my Herbs for Kids ebook, and you can get both of those just by going over to www.avivaram.com. 
www.thepowerofpositivityshow.com. And if you have found this episode helpful, please leave a comment over on iTunes. And remember, every now and then we're going to be searching those comments and picking a lucky winner for a special giveaway. Thank you so much for joining me and I will see you next week on Natural MD Radio. you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.